Father, you tell us that you desire truth in the inmost place because you want freedom in the inmost place. Your word tells us that when we know the truth, and that doesn't mean when we can grasp it cognitively only, but when the truth infiltrates the deepest parts of who we are and it informs us and molds us and shapes us, that as a result of knowing truth, whose name is Jesus, Lord, we experience life as it's meant to be experienced. We experience being human as it was designed. We experience relationships as they were designed. And we experience you and your beauty and your holiness and love when the truth sets us free. And so as we open your word for the next few moments, we ask that you would allow the truth to settle in and to infiltrate our hearts and our minds and our lives. And as a result, we would be a people that are free to love you and each other. We'd be free from sin, free from ourselves, free from our shame and our past, and that we would be able to walk in freedom through Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit, we pray in your mighty and matchless name. And everyone said, amen, amen. and amen. If you've been with us just by way of review, you know that we have been in this series after Easter of basic training. And we've been having fun looking at this slide every single message to say that the lion's share or the bulk of the language used in scriptures to describe those who claim to know or follow God is the word disciple. It's a word that in our day and age is not uh, readily used, or you don't usually hear it over the workroom conversation or in your neighborhood, but how many know that we are a people of the book, a people of the word, the people of scripture? And from scripture's perspective, time and time again, the word that the authors of scripture, inspired by the Holy Spirit, used to pin and to give a label or a name over those who've claimed to know and follow God is this word disciple, followed by followers of the way, and then you see here the word Christian. And this is to say, every week I've been saying, I'm not anti-calling us Christian, but I am so for us rediscovering, reimagining what it would mean for us to be seized with this idea of being all of life students, followers of a way, his name is Jesus. And so we've been looking at what does it mean to be trained in this? And this is just, again, summary, that we are students. That's what a disciple is. They're an adherent and a follower of a way. Our teacher, according to Matthew 10, is Jesus. And how many know that Jesus is still our teacher by his Holy Spirit today? John 16 tells us the Spirit will lead us into all truth. 1 John chapter 2, verse 20 says, if you're in Christ, you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. And that anointing, verse 26, is real, not counterfeit. And what does the anointing of God teach us? To abide in Jesus. 1 John 2, 26 and 7. But as students who have a teacher and who are empowered by that teacher, by the Spirit, we also have a curriculum, and our curriculum happens to be Jesus. Jesus said it this way, I am the, the truth and the life. So Jesus is the object of our study. He is the teacher, 
because he's the only one that embodied an integrated life that was oriented to God's self and others in a perfect or what scripture would call holy manner. And therefore, Jesus is our curriculum. We want to be just like him in our words, in our thoughts, in our attitudes, in our ambitions, in our dreams, how we view our work, how we view everyone around us. We want to be like the way, the truth, and the life, like Jesus. So we've been working with this definition. What is a disciple of Jesus? And if you would, read this with me. Someone who is following Jesus, being changed by Jesus, and is committed to the mission of Jesus. We said last week in shorthand, just to remind us, we don't have to be um, theologians or know 800 billion Bible verses. You can if you want, but there's not even that many in the Bible, so whatever. Cheesy joke. But shorthand, we want to be people who are committed to the great commandment, loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving our neighbor as our self. And we threw in last week, we want to be people of the great commandment, but in light of the new commandment, which was to love in a Christ-like manner, right? John 13, 35, that selfless, wash the feet, go low so that others around you can be lifted up kind of love. A love that looks like a cross, 1 John 3, 16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to be committed to that kind of love. So great commandment, and then the great commission, And all of discipleship, being a student, being trained by our king and our teacher, Jesus, all of it is via relationship. All of it is by relationship. Let me say that again. It is all about relationship. So none of this is I'm just trying to go off on my own in a classroom with a book and trying to study harder. It's none of this is about you trying to attain to a certain level of, of purity or you trying to attain to a certain level of knowledge or experience. No, it's about being connected, hooked into the very life that flows from Jesus. It is all about relationships. So none of this is a heavy, cold blanket to say, hurry up, get your stuff together. It's a big time call to look to receive, abide in, walk with, moment by moment, Jesus by the Spirit. It's about relationship. And if you've been with us, you can check out our previous weeks online. We've been looking at relationship through the lens of the Lord's Prayer. And uh, we're not getting past point number one again this week. I'm sorry. This might last like 15 weeks, this series called Basic Training. But you don't care. How many know we never get done? It's just good. It's just good. So again, you know, I'm not going to go through this because my time is limited. But we're going we're gonna to hook into the Our Father prayer again. There's another dynamic that the Lord wants to reveal to us today about the Our Father who is in heaven. By the way, how many know we just celebrated in the Lord's calendar Ascension Day? Does anyone know what the Ascension means in Scripture? Anyone want to take a stab at it? Come on. The glorious day after the resurrection when Jesus ascended, right? And where did he go? He just evaporated, right? And right, he sat at the right hand of the Father, did you know that had he not ascended, we would not have been able to do what we did today when we stood in solidarity with the global family? When Christ ascended, he made his presence a global reality for any person who would come to God through him. The ascension's a really big deal. But it's about relationship. It's about relationship. So Jesus 
said, this then is how you should pray. And if you've been with us for three weeks, I'll say that no more. You can look online. Prayer is not this. I mean, you can close your eyes, you can put your hands together, but prayer is an entire way to relate to God through relationship. Listen, if prayer was only what I did in a religious setting or in a circle, I could not obey the scripture that Dave, who I didn't know he was gonna quote, quoted, pray without ceasing, which is to say God in Christ by the Spirit is a present relational reality extended to the world moment by moment. So Jesus is telling his boys, when you pray, when you seek to foster a relationship like you saw me have, here's how you do it. You pray through the lens of relationship. He's your father who's in heaven. He's over all and through all. He's greater than what you face, and he's the solution to what you face, whose name is holy. He's our father. We realize that Jesus, it cost him his life to get us into an our father kind of relationship. Read this verse with me. It's one of my favorite in the Bible. For Christ, whoops, I'm sorry. Yeah, you know, not, that's not a verse. Read it with me. For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous to bring you to God. Come on, someone do, to bring you to God. So when Jesus is saying, when you pray, when you seek a relationship with Father like I modeled for you, which by the way, we've been saying it every week, the disciples never asked him, teach us to preach like you, teach us to teach like you, teach us to do whatever like you. The one thing they had to know was how do you have a relationship with Father like you do? And so he teaches them this prayer. Let me tell you how, because he's my father. Everything I do is in light of his pleasure, his character, his goodness. What he's saying, I'm saying. What he's doing, I'm doing. When he says stay, I stay. And when he says go, I go. It's moment by moment, reactionary to the revelation of relationship by the father. And so Jesus' entire life could be summarized as one long living prayer or dialogue with the father. And Jesus died for sins, and the sins really of all humanity is our addiction to autonomy, to do things apart from God. And so Jesus takes that thing called sin, and he swallows it, he drinks it, Hebrews 2, 9, and 10, so that now he can bring us into a relationship with God like he had. Thank you. That's good news. He did this not so that you could be religious, but that you could have a relationship that you could know God. I love this, that Jesus is both the message and the means. The message of Jesus is this. He came to earth to show us the very image of God, but he also showed us God's intent for the world, which was to have a bunch of sons and daughters who loved and served and know the Father. Jesus is all right. He's more than all right. Come on. The son is the message to the world, and he's the means to the end of that message. The message is, I'm looking for sons and daughters. The means to get there are, my son's going to lay down his life so that you could get in on what I'm doing. Does that make sense? This is all training, but I love, this is all um, review, but it just gets me every time because He didn't leave anything unturned. He did it. He did it. 
you feel far from God, he's overcome every barrier, every obstacle, so that you could have a relationship with him. Distance is an illusion that you only see because of your sin, because from his perspective, he's come all the way through his son. He loves you, and he wants a relationship with you. So today, basic training, our Father, um, we're going to look one more time at the Great Commission, but very specifically, I want to devote the next couple minutes to baptism. Before you run out of this room and think, oh, boring, a message on baptism, you will be pleasantly surprised. I think we've lost the guts of this sacrament, this visible sign of an inward grace that God wants to release and pour out on us as we go through the waters of baptism. Anyhow, we're going to get there, but let's read this scripture um, together. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and, te- and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you. Say that with me. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And just by way of introduction to this super familiar passage that you've been running in church circles, maybe it's brand new to you. That's okay. But Jesus called disciples to make disciples who would go out and make other disciples who would follow in the way of Jesus. It's super significant, though, that before we can teach them to obey, Jesus wants to deal with the issue of allegiance of their heart first. You got to go baptize them. You got to immerse them in the relationship that I've come to make available. Trying to do religion or a bunch of rules without having the relationship first is all but impossible. If you agree, say amen. And so Jesus is telling us as disciples, those who are students, curriculum Jesus, teacher Jesus by the Spirit, and we're in it together, we're not alone, come on. You're to go out, and I want you to go make disciples, call other people to be baptized into the name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The idea, yeah, come on. The idea is this, when you are baptized into the name, the the connotation here of the, the original thought of the author is this, when you're baptized into the name of someone, you're baptized into an under new ownership. You belong to somebody else. It's the language here. You gotta go to the nations and immerse them. By the gospel, they'll be delivered from being owned and manipulated by the enemy who only knows how to steal, kill, and destroy. And when you baptize them, the transfer of ownership is now Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And so, so, so baptism, we're gonna have it this next week. My hope is not that our list gets really big so it pads our stats, but if you haven't, that you would have a lot of evidence today from today's message that if you haven't and you claim allegiance to Jesus, you probably ought to. 
Is that fair enough? Not being a stinker. I don't, have, I don't care what I report to the district, but I just know there's something about obeying God's word that we can't get to or around, but he's just saying, my word don't change. Are you going to obey it or not? So go baptize them. Go immerse them in relationship with the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's really hard to teach people to obey everything if they've not first repented of their own kingdom and got into alignment with the king and his kingdom. So what is baptism? If he told us to go do it, it's sort of important to him. Baptism, the actual word, as you can see on the slide here, it just means this. It simply means to immerse, if I can get it, to wash, I love this, to overwhelm or drown. Now, I'm gonna, I should have left drown off or there'll be no one to sign it, but I'm, I actually like it. How many want your old life of you, sin, self, and shame to be drowned? I, I do. I don't, I don't want that thing walking around like a phantom behind my shoulder. I want that thing definitively dead and buried. I want it to be immersed under the cleansing flow of Jesus, and I want to rise a new creation. I'm getting ahead of myself. I can't help it. So, so I love this quote. Baptism is a separation from the world and the flesh or the sin that me, 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 me. Someone say me, 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 me. And it's a first principle for all of those who want to walk as a believer. And it is only through the application of the cross that we are separated from death through baptism. Baptism, therefore, is an immersion into union with the death of Christ, but we know he didn't stay dead. So also, the life of Christ. So just some summary statements, and all this will be online. You can check it out and, and download it later. So baptism is a dying and a rising with Christ. So baptism is always, always, always tethered to the person and the work of Jesus Christ. If it loses its connection to Christ, it's just taking a bath. If it is not about identifying with the one who was fully immersed into our condition, though he never sinned, he became it. He immersed himself into our reality. If it's separate from Christ, it loses its power. But it's a complete identification with, and unashamedly so, he died and he rose, and that's good enough for me. It's a cleansing from sin. It's a, it's a sign. It's an outward sign to an onlooking world. It's one of the ways the church still has drama today. How many remember when drama was really big? I'm cool if it comes back. But baptism is a living drama for onlooking world. It's a play. I mean, it's an, an activity. How many know we need to rediscover the kinetic dynamic of Christianity? There's movement involved. There's a dunking and a rising and a celebration. And whoo, we're new creations. Listen, Christianity is not predominantly just a bunch of people who have a bunch of random theological thoughts bouncing in their heads. There are people that get wet in the water and rise up new creations. I like this. Come on. I like it. Baptism is also um, a gift. It's a gift of the Holy Spirit. Repent and be baptized. We're going to get there. The first sermon ever preached after the poured out of the Holy Spirit. It symbolizes the reception of a gift of the Holy Spirit. And, all, and this is a big one that we've lost all sight almost of in, in the West, but not where it's recovering, I think. Baptism is also an incorporation into Christ in the church. We're baptized into a family, into a family.
So, I love this. Peter, before he was filled with the Holy Spirit, uh, is known by some not great things. Remember Peter the Apostle, the one who always stuck his foot in his mouth? Anyone? Maybe you're... He was a coward. He denied Jesus three times. You tracking with me? Remember that? But once he was filled with the Holy Spirit, different game. He stands up, filled with the Holy Spirit, tongues of fire, speaking the prophetic word of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he stands and he preaches the crucifixion, the death, the burial, the resurrection of King Jesus. And then he gets to the end of his message and he crescendos to this crowd gathered. And he says this, therefore, I just summarized the therefore. Let all of Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified both Lord and Messiah. So he's both Lord over heaven and earth, and he's also Messiah, King of heaven and earth. And when the people heard this, they were, what does it say? Cut to the heart. The first sermon post-Pentecost, church is born, and they're asking a question. That would be a good day at church if someone interrupts your sermon with a question, what shall we do? What shall we do? If this is true, if God made Jesus the Lord of heaven and earth and the king that's ruling the earth on his throne that is immovable and unshakable, then something has to change about my life. I love this. When the gospel is preached, something always has to change. If he's Lord and King, then that means everyone else is not Lord or King. So I love the question. The crowds ask, what do we got to do? Well, you got to go to a leadership class. You got to get trained. You got to, wait, what does it say? Let me see. I forget. I did not do that. I have no clue. Oh, that was wild. When the, it went all the way to the end, buddy. So can you help me? I'm sorry, Justin. Go back to that slide. We got a new clicker because my cell phone wasn't working. And so far, I'm semi-pleased. I'm going to have to write a review on Amazon later. So again, what shall we do? Peter's reply is this. Read it with me. Repent and be baptized, every one of you. Hold on. Who? Okay. Wait. Not like, okay, yeah. In the name of Jesus Christ. Hit pause. What does that phrase mean again? In the name of? It signifies ownership. Right? Ownership, being immersed into the nature, the person that you're being baptized in the name of. So, in the name of Jesus Christ. Keep going. For the forgiveness of your sins. How many need that? I do. All right, good. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Don't even get me started. We need him. We can't even breathe or say Jesus is Lord without him. This promise is for you and your children for who are far off and for all whom the Lord our God will call. So the question always is with baptism, and some traditions and denominations say you gotta be baptized, you're not saved. Our tradition does not, uh, only Jesus Christ and faith in him saves you. But to think that that is the centrality or the sole purpose of Christianity is to woefully misunderstand what it means to be Christian. To be Christian is not just for you to be forgiven and saved. It's for you to be immersed into a global family that then goes out to the world and declares the gospel of Jesus. So repent and be baptized. Change K. 
kings. Rethink everything in light of the Lord and the Messiah of heaven and earth. And when you do that, the forgiveness of God is poured out. The gift of the Holy Spirit is given. And why it's significant is because I didn't just come to save you, solo mission, Western thinking, me, me, me. It's still all about me. I came to bring you in on a really long story that I started with Adam and then I've definitively shifted and transformed in Christ and I'm rewriting through you until I come again. Be baptized. And when you're baptized, you're immersed into this family that's really, really old. But that still experiences the newness of his mercy every morning. Are you tracking with me? I'm getting all fired up. I want to go get baptized right now. So, hallelujah. What must we do to be saved? Repent and be baptized. Repentance is the giving of your heart allegiance to another king. It's about allegiance. It's about a new king and a new kingdom and a new life and a new family. And to be baptized is to become children in the family of God. That's a good, thank you, man. I got help over there. Over here, y'all can help me anytime you want. It helps me. Read this verse with me. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. If you study baptism throughout church history, it was stunning. First of all, it was, a, it was a crescendo of about a two or three year period whereby you'd have to renounce all your idols and your sins. They would even like do exorcisms on you. You would have to leave and really understand what it meant to be a people who are belonging to the way of Jesus. It was gnarly. I didn't tell them to do that. They did it on their own right after Jesus. And then on Easter day, they would take off your old clothes. They would garb you in a white robe, symbolizing your new life, your new righteousness in Christ. You would rise a part of the family. Now, we've way watered down and lowered. And I'm not saying that you, know, you need to be at the end of a two or three year, but I'm telling you, there's something to that. How many know following Jesus is not easy? Did you know Jesus said, count the cost? But did you know he said count the cost after he modeled how much he loved us? So counting the cost and love are not opposed. How many know love is hard? If you aren't raising your hand, you are a liar and you need to be baptized. (laughs) You've clothed yourself in Christ. When you go under those waters, you leave your dark, Isaiah 62, I think, somewhere in there, filthy rag 64 robe of righteousness and you rise with a shiny shimmery perfect record attributed to your account in christ i like that new you're brand new what else happens when you're baptized you're immersed into the very life of god through death how many know it's always death to life death to life death to life he couldn't give the world the life that he had an experience until he laid down his life but when we are baptized Yes, we're baptized. Read this verse with me. I don't have to summarize it. Or don't you know that all of us who are baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that, that's a big one right there, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. 
So you don't stay dead. Your old man stays dead, but you rise a brand new creation. So baptism is first and foremost an initiation into this family. What do I, that sounds like legalistic. No, it just sounds like the Bible. Read your Bible. It's there. It's the word. Be immersed into the life of the church. We need to know when war is breaking out, don't think literal war, but I guess it is a literal war. The spiritual forces of darkness, I need to know who's in. Who can I call at the watches of the night who will intercede for me? Well, I'll call the baptized because I know they have claimed allegiance to Jesus alone. I know that they're walking. They're not perfect. Listen, baptism gives us the revelation, the awareness of who I can call when all the stuff is hitting the fan. How many know it? We shouldn't have to guess on who I should be able to call or lean on in times of tragedy or trial. Who should we call? Those who are experiencing the new life of Christ. All right, you understand. I'm going to keep going. I love this quote. To be Christian is to be a follower, a disciple. That's summarizing everything we've said. It is to respond to the call of God on our lives in obedience of faith wherein we are drawn into the life of Jesus and deny, set aside, put to death, the life of autonomy. Does everyone know what I mean? I use that word a lot. Autonomy, I'll explain it. It's that selfish, me life. That's autonomy. It's I'm my own ruler. Sound like as old as the Garden of Eden, right? So that life of autonomy where it's about me and not me and God and independence from Christ. He goes on to say this. This is symbolized and represented to us in our baptism. Baptism speaks of a transfer, I love that language, of allegiance reflected in the obedience of faith. Now our lives are lived under the reign of Christ. Did you know that baptism is not just this, oh, let's hurry up, prayer, prayer, let's get you through our little class and let's throw a little water on you. No, 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 it's a total transfer of allegiance. You live under the reign of Christ himself, which leads to the last one. We're almost there, guys. Baptism symbolizes that we are now citizens of the kingdom of God. I love this, I'll read this. Last big chunk of verse. Your whole self, that autonomy, me, 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 ruled by the flesh, your sin, was put off, say that with me, put off when you were circumcised by Christ. If you're like, dude, that is really weird, don't know what that means. It was the Old Testament sign in the flesh that you belong to the family of God. So Paul is connecting outward sign of circumcision now in the New Testament with baptism. Someone say amen. You get, that's what he's doing. You are circumcised by Christ. What used to mark the people of God outwardly is now baptism. You were buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him. Your faith in the working of God, it's all a work of God, who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins, he made you alive in the uncircumcision of your flesh. God made you alive with Christ. You're alive with Christ today. I've often told you, many live as enemies of the cross. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. They're autonomous. It's all about their flesh, their wants, their desires, but not us. Their mind is set on earthly things, but our citizenship, if you're in Christ, is in heaven. Baptism is that pledge of allegiance to the king whose name is Jesus and whose kingdom is the world. 
our citizenship. The, the context here in Philippi is this. It was an outpost of the Roman world. And how many know Rome was really good at divide and conquer and then make them all subjects to your reign and rule? That's what Rome and every other empire has been good at, but they always crumble and fall. And the idea in Philippians, when Paul is using this language, was this. There's no way that Caesar and the governors and leaders of Rome wanted all these ravenous, beast-like soldiers to come back to Rome when war was over. Okay, how many know that's a big problem waiting to happen? 100,000 men or 50,000 who just came out of war to come back into your town and to be bored? How many know men bored, uh, not good? All right. So the language Paul uses here is this. Those who had every right to come back to Rome because they were citizens after war, no, 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 no. In Philippi, 800 miles away, it's as if you're standing on Roman ground because you are citizens of that city. So the language here is this. Even though heaven, God's realm and rule is invisible to our eye, it's breaking out through the spirit and the the preaching and declaration, demonstration of the gospel. But my true identity is tethered to the one at the right hand of the Father. Jesus is my very life, Colossians 3. But look at this. Look at this. Even though that is true and he's there because I'm his and my transfer of ownership and allegiance, every place I put, like the Roman soldiers 800 miles from Rome, are walking on Roman territory. We're walking as citizens of the kingdom. Everywhere we go is an opportunity for heaven to invade the earth because that's where our citizenship is. Does that make sense? Because that was good. So he's saying that Paul's using language from his days. Brilliant. Guys, even as the soldiers 800 miles away, they don't need to come back to hometown because they're actually citizens there. They represent Rome 800 miles away and they should stay there. So if you're in Christ, you represent heaven everywhere you go. You're a citizen of my kingdom. Phenomenal quote from Stanley Howard and Wilma. The church is a colony, an island of one culture in the middle of another. In baptism, our citizenship is transferred from one dominion to another, and we become, in whatever culture we find ourselves, resident aliens. We belong here, but not belonging like the world belongs here. We belong, how many know heaven belongs here? That's the prayer we're going to get to eventually. Your kingdom come, your will be done where? On earth. But he said, we don't play by its rules. We're different. We're from a different kingdom who has a different king who loved and served and gave like no other king in history. Therefore, he's worthy of our allegiance and our worship. Yes. So, come on. I like it. I get excited. I'm sorry. I can't help it. Credible quote. And then we're done. Baptism does not just make a new people possible. It makes a new family available to all who pledge their allegiance to the Lamb. Our baptism signals that we are new creatures with new desires, a new passion for a very different kingdom. Thus, in the water, we renounce and keep renouncing our former desires so that we can live his desire for his kingdom, for his will, for his agenda. So, Chatty... You took a whole Sunday, well, because I never preached on it, and I had to preach on it, because he told me to. And part of this, part of relationship, our Father, is baptism is unashamedly saying, I'm identifying with Father. I'm identifying with the Son, Jesus Christ. I'm identifying with the work and person of the Holy Spirit. 
And my ultimate allegiance is not with any this or that ruler or this nation or this ideology, this idol. It is the lamb who was slain and who reigns on the throne over the nations of the earth to whom every tongue will acknowledge and knee will bow that he alone is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And baptism is when we get to, in the middle of all of this activity and fun and joy, we get to do that and declare it to the world. He is king. He is Lord, and I'm going to follow him. Come on. So the real question is, well, what should we do? Right. That's what they asked. That's what the first Pentecostal sermon they asked. What should we do? And the answer is still the same. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. They said to Peter and the other apostles, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent. Because God made Jesus Lord and King. So you've got to repent. You're not. He is. And when you do that, be baptized. Play that thing out before others through the water. That you believe he is Lord and King. Every one of you. So it's not just for like super spiritual. I mean, you can be super spiritual. It's not just for those who are sort of decent It's for those on any end of the spectrum who think you're basically good or those who are like, I can't even say Jesus without feeling the weight of my sin. I want you to know the grace of God is for all of us. In the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That sounds like a pretty good deal to me. Repent and be baptized. It starts with repentance, and it is fostered by repentance. How many know our whole life is one of constantly realigning and coming to agreement with the king of the kingdom? When Jesus is saying, pray like this, our father, he's implying all of this. We call him father because of our faith in Christ and our public testimony via baptism that we've got a new owner and he's the best. The enemy that has the world enslaved, 1 John 5, 18 and 19, he promises so much, but it's always more than we can build, think Pharaoh and bricks and quota, and it never satisfies. But King Jesus offers us a new identity, a new family, a new kingdom, a new name, a new nature, a new passion, a new desire, and it all cost him everything so that now through repentance and faith, we receive the bounty of his goodness and his grace, and we're baptized to declare it worked. Hallelujah. It worked. It worked. So I don't know how you need to respond today. Maybe repent. Jesus, you are Lord, not me. My contention is probably that a lot of us have already done that and need to keep doing that. But be baptized. Be baptized. Obey his word. You can go to our website. Again, I don't have a quota. I'm not trying to reach. I'm just trying to get us into the obedience of faith that Jesus calls us to. Or you can go sign up in the lobby or talk to one of us after the service. But could you stand with me? I just want us to have some prayer here together. You know, we started during worship identifying with our global family. Remember that? Where baptism is literally treason. I'm not being a hard-headed, I'm not trying to make us feel guilty, but where they have to do it when it's dark and it's quiet in bathtubs and they can't do it out like we're gonna do it in our parking lot. (laughs) 
where people can drive by and see it. One is not necessarily better than the other. The center piece of the matter is, is he Lord or is he not? It's not more spiritual to God that we do it in secret and public so don't feel guilty or, well, I'm American, so I... No, 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 we should be grateful, but we should all the more and eagerly make sure we've got the who's the king of my life thing figured out. Is it Jesus or is it you? I'll never forget about seven years ago, six years ago, I was with a bunch of pastors. Pastor Ron was still alive, and a lot of us from the Central Coast, all these pastors, and I got roped in there to do some music. We, we went away for a retreat, and it was super powerful. All these different leaders from the area were there, and we got away and goofed around and prayed. And, but Pat Sparrow, the pastor, the, the, the senior pastor, they call him, at Equippers Church in Rio Grande, he had just got back from Korea, which is number one on the world watch list for persecution. North Korea is number one. And he got a clip of a baptism from Korea. And I, it would be the coolest sermon illustration right now to show it to you. I asked him year, a year and a half ago. He didn't, he didn't know where it was, where the clip went. But it's this picture, and they had to use night vision, obviously, from the camera because it's in dark and it's at night, and there's just, just this celebration. And then he ended, he ended, and then I, it's, it's still anointed telling you about it, even though I can't show it to you, with the Korean mama praying over her nation that they would unashamedly stand for Christ and live for Jesus. And all of us men, almost all of us were men and pastors, we were just wrecked. I mean, just some sobbing because of the purity of their faith that they would not deny Jesus, but they would fully identify with Jesus and they would seek to be a blessing to their nation or their ruler, no matter if they were vindictive or hateful or persecuting or whatever, but that the lordship of Jesus would actually influence and transform their entire way of life together which is really the great hope. Our life together being the greatest billboard to the world that you've gotta have what we have. It's not a bunch of words or theories. It's a person who's influenced and transformed every relationship through his grace. So just do business with God right now. I just wanna give you 30 seconds. Whatever the spirit is stirring in you, just trust him today. Be quiet. Say, Holy Spirit, what would you have me say yes to? What would you have me turn from? What would you have me receive? What would you have me walk in? What is that next step for me, Lord Jesus? It's all by your grace and in the power of your spirit. I'm just responding. And could you just stick your hands out like you're receiving something? Just say, I receive your grace, Jesus. I receive your love, Jesus. I receive your forgiveness, Jesus. And I acknowledge that you are king, that you are Lord, and I want to follow you with every breath I have, every step I take, in every way. You're my teacher. I'm your student. In Christ's name, amen. Receive this blessing. I just want to send you out. It says this. Now, may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, 
that great shepherd of the sheep, and there is none other like him. May he equip you with everything good for doing his will. Come on, somebody. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ. Who is it through? To whom be the glory forever and ever. And who is the glory all about? Jesus. Forever and ever. Amen and amen.